there and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week I showed Scott a very interesting film, one that I feel like no one really talks about, but maybe I think they should. Yeah. This film is The Island. Released in 2005, and yes, this movie is certainly of the early 2000s, we will get to that aspect of it, but uh, it is a Michael Bay film, I know what you're thinking, and there, there is Michael Bay-ness in this movie for sure, Indeed. but it's definitely, I think, a script and a, an overall premise story that surpasses the Michael Bay bullshit. Honestly, it wasn't until, like, halfway through the movie that his Michael Bayism started coming out. At least the negative ones, yeah. Before that, I like most of the characters, and I feel like they do a good job acting. Yes, I agree. I like the movie, I do, I like it. I'm not sure I love it, but I like it. So, just to give some background on this particular film, this was made two years after Bad Boys 2 and two years before Transformers. So this was, like, right in the thick of Michael Bay's heyday. As far as ratings go, it's rated pretty much middle of the road with Bay's other movies. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like I said, no one really talks about this movie at all. But uh, I think it's one of his best movies. Would you agree with that or no? Uh, that's tough. I, I think it's better than pretty much most of the, if not all the Transformers movies. Yes. Um, <laughs> we can say that for a certainty. Uh, I think it's behind, actually I'd probably put behind all three Bad Boys movies. I haven't seen the third one. I have no intention to. And I like the first two bad boys. I, I enjoy them very much. I uh, just feel like this movie, it's it's different from his normal fare, I guess. Like there, like I said, there are Michael Bay-isms in this movie. There are definite tropes to be found. But this is kind of outside the box for him. Yeah. It's and it's just, I really enjoy the story and overall themes of it. Yeah, I do wonder under a different hand what this movie would have been? Yes. This this is a, a sci-fi thriller kind of deal, and uh, we have seen a lot of sci-fi directors, you know, kicking stuff like this out of the park. We got, like, a Ridley Scott or, like, a Joss Whedon that could have, like, really sunk his teeth into this. Uh, I was thinking, like, Villeneuve. Yeah. Like, or, like, Kugler. Yeah, Kugler would have been also very interesting. Right. So, like I said, I, I do enjoy this, but I feel like if it was done by a not-so-Michael-Bayish director, <laughs> it could have been even better. Now, just to give some more background info, the story behind this film, as well as the original script, was written by a screenwriter by the name of Caspian Treadwell-Owen. He is really, like, not to be mean, but, like, a nobody. This is his only, like, major film that he's ever done. This is one of three movies that's on his IMDb, the last of which being in 2012. So he's really not in the game anymore. Or if he is, he just hasn't been picked up since 2012. Right. But after the original script was put out there and picked up for direction by Michael Bay, he had a couple of other writers come in to do some rewrites. Uh, Mr. Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi. Uh, if you don't know who Alex Kurtzman is, he's done a shit ton of movies and a shit ton of other things that geeks around this great nation know and love. <laughs> uh, he's written for the Transformers movies, the Star Trek movies, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and uh, the new Mummy movie with Tom Cruise. Yay! That is one big pile of shit. And even more recently, he wrote the Star Trek Picard series, which I heard wasn't great, but I'm not a Star Trek person, so I don't know. Yay! I've heard mixed things. I feel like he's kind of like the J.J. Abrams 
of like the like the new J.J. Abrams in a way, because he's like the cookie cutter sci-fi writer in a sense. And uh, Roberto, Roberto Orsi also co-wrote Amazing Spider-Man two with Alex Kurtzman. So these guys have both. Well, they have no. both harmed me in a way that I cannot explain. Yeah. Oh, these God. Guys, and they have a very colorful repertoire, let's put it that way. So they came on for the rewrites, and despite that, though, like, this is Alex Kurtzman's first theatrical movie screenplay, so this is, like, what started his trajectory. I think, I mean, they didn't fuck it up. It, I still think the script is really good. Yeah, for the most part, it's pretty good. There are some weird things in there. For sure. Here's the thing. There is humor in this movie. But really, the humor, in all respects, falls flat. But it's either, like, really dumb, like, childish humor. Or it's sexist and or homophobic. (laughs) Which, I, I mean, I, as a woman, the sexist humor, it irritated me. As we watched it, I went, ugh, quite a few times, rolled my eyes, and got irritated. But yeah. it, it didn't take away from the overall story because I knew it was because Michael Bay. <laughs> so I kind of just let it go and tried to focus on the overall story. And it, it worked for me. Like I said, it could have been better if it was in other hands. But for what we got of it, I liked it. Yeah, it it definitely does well. Again, there are things, again, that could have been done better, but you let it go. I haven't seen this movie in quite a while. I just remember really liking it because, (laughs) spoiler you Ewan McGregor's in this movie, so obviously I liked it. But, like, there were certain details that I didn't remember. But as we were watching it, both myself and Scott were able to predict a lot of the action movie Tropes. Tropes are coming along before they actually happen. So in a way, it's, it's kind of predictable. The themes in it, while they are like presented in a cool way, aren't new themes to sci-fi or even action movies. No. But that's why I say it could have been better, but it's a solid action sci-fi yeah. movie. It, it's, it's one of those movies that you don't really have to think about. Like, there's not... There's not a deep underlying meaning to the island. No, I mean there there are themes. There are themes, but they're not. They're kind of like very surface level sci-fi themes. Blade Runner does it better. This is like it's totally different from Blade Runner in a lot of ways, but it's like a very generic surface level version of Blade Runner. Yeah, if I never saw this movie again, I could tell you the themes of this movie. Right, yes. And like I said, other movies have done it better. But I, I have a soft spot for this movie because you and McGregor. And, and ScarJo's great, too. ScarJo is really great in this. The good thing about this, and we did say this at one point, because obviously, especially in Michael Bay's later films, Transformers movies to be even more specific, Michael Bay has a tendency to overly sexualize young female stars. This is 2005. Scarjo was 21 at this time, a very young, budding starlet, and I was half expecting her to be just overly, just like painted with makeup. They and they had sexualized, and she is sexualized to a certain degree because she yeah she is like a romantic lead, but. It's not like Michael Bay level of over sexualization, which I did appreciate. <laughs> so. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, I will say this movie did kind of fall between the cracks as far as the Michael Bay filmography. Apparently, the marketing for it was kind of lacking at the time when it came out. Yeah, because I remember seeing the trailer for this movie. I don't at all. I actually do (laughs) remember the trailer for this movie, and I remember going, It shows in the box office because the budget was $126 million. And it only made 162 million. So it just so it, was, it just it was considered a bomb. Yeah, it it broke even, but with marketing standpoints, it lost money. So right, I I do think that's a shame. But let's get into the nitty gritty of this, and we can we uh, can talk about it. <laughs> honestly, it's funny because we rented the movie on Amazon Prime, 
and the main picture is of Ewan McGregor just kind of staring at us. <laughs> staring into our souls. As we review his movie, he's staring he's at like, us. like, guys, what are you saying? He's got, like, a very confused look on his face. <laughs> what do you mean ScarJo was so really sexualized? <laughs> guys, what do you mean the movie only was, like, middling? <laughs> what do you mean there were sexist jokes? I thought the jokes were hilarious. I'm sure you did, Ewan. Anyway. <laughs> So we op- now, as I just talked about how ScarJo is not overly sexualized in this movie, we open with essentially a perfume commercial starring Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> She's on a boat. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me because I'm sailing on a boat. With like you know a, a bikini on. Well, not was she in a bikini? Probably. I, I couldn't tell. I think she was in like she had like a shawl on, so it was demure. I guess I don't know. But the shawl was flapping in the breeze, very artistic. You know, you know the deal. Then you see you and McGregor, and immediately it kind of turns into like this nightmarish thing and immediately you realize that oh this is definitely a movie from the early 2000s because there's this weird editing style where like they flash different images like really quick and crazy booming voices oh yeah like over everything and then you must come to the island it's like all this creepy shit and then we see Ewan waking up in this pure white cell essentially, and he had a nightmare. And just to give you an idea, like, in the nightmare, there are different images of Ewan McGregor riding a motorcycle, uh, driving a fancy car, and then he's attacked by a bunch of ninjas, almost, it seems like. And then there's one image where this business guy is saying, you must come to the island. You want to come to the island. You have been chosen. All this crazy, like, cryptic shit so that's how we start the movie (laughs) that's our cold open as it were and we meet officially Ewan McGregor's character who is named Lincoln Six Echo we will be calling him Lincoln for the movie just so you guys know because Scott was like over the numbers and the names of all these people well yeah because they kept introducing people like oh I'm (laughs) I'm Delta Cube 7 and I'm like (laughs) I'm not no gonna remember. I'm not gonna remember that. No one has named that. But anyway. So Lincoln's there. Oh yes. In the cell. Yes, and we realize that his life is incredibly regimented. He has this like scrolling analog thing that talks to him and tells him what to do, and he has this white jumpsuit he has to put on. He has this bracelet. They analyze his pee. Yes, we love we love that. Yes, science! But the one question they didn't answer in this whole movie, mm-hmm. one of the couple of questions they don't answer, <laughs> but the one question they don't answer right away is, what happened to his left shoe? I knew you were going to say that. The powers that be give him his clothes to wear, and he exclaims immediately, I don't have a shoe. I'm missing a shoe. <laughs> and then it just, it's never addressed again. It's like supposed to be funny and quirky, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and that's, that's Michael Bay's attempt at quirk. Was, I don't know, guys. It was just, I don't know. It was just so funny because then he gets into the elevator with like all the other people in white jumpsuits and he's like, yeah, I was missing a left shoe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just, and they also address that. The year is 2019. The future. Zach! I have to tell you about the future. I have to tell you about the future. It's like uh, Back to the Future where they're in a flying car and and Doc goes like, oh, it's 2015. You mean we're in the future? And it's like, no, we're in 2020 and there are no flying cars, sir. Flying cars, (laughs) flying trains. It's like ridiculous. But anyway, so we get some world building, which I think within the next, I would say, 20 minutes, we establish the world that we're in. And I think they do a good job at that. Yeah. Um, Because that's a big part, especially of sci-fi movies, because a lot of times sci-fi movies, there's fantastical shit going on. So they go in this elevator, and there's a screen in the elevator. Everyone in this, like, compound that they live in is wearing white jumpsuits and the bracelets, and it's 
very weird. We don't have all the details yet, but we're going to get there. So they, a bunch of people file into this elevator and there's a screen in the elevator and there's this woman on the screen talking about in this sultry, almost Vanna White type voice about the lottery. What is the lottery, you may ask? Once every so often, someone gets selected by the lottery to go to a tropical paradise. Yes, because they establish in this world that at some point in the past, the outside world became contaminated, quote-unquote. Ah, this is relevant. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is where we're going to be after fucking COVID is over. So the world became contaminated and all these people in these white jumpsuits and whatever, they all were survivors of the contamination and they were put to live in this compound. And every so often, like Scott said, they do a lottery and the winner, quote unquote, of this lottery gets to go to the island, which is this magical place that the powers of be have established that is a contamination-free zone. This is something that all of the members of this society here in this compound strive for. And the winner of our first lottery that we have seen... Oh yes, they show the latest winner of the lottery on the screen in the elevator, and it is none other than our friend, Shoot the Flick veteran, Michael Clark motherfucking Duncan. Damn straight, and this man is having a good time. Oh, he is so fucking cute. He's just so happy to be there. So jovial. It's funny because I wish he was in this movie more. I do too, because he's just such a delight in anything he's in. I mean, we talked about this when we did the whole nine yards. He's just just such a charmer, as such a delight. He plays Starkweather 2 Delta. You don't have to worry about the 2 Delta. It's not that important. Just remember Starkweather. And fun fact, Bay actually, quote-unquote, called in a favor to get Michael Clark Duncan to be in this movie because, and this just sounds like a Michael Bay thing to think, he called in a favor because he basically attributes himself to the reason Michael Clark Duncan got his Oscar nomination. <laughs> because, get this bullshit, okay? He said, well, since I discovered him in a gym and put him in Armageddon, I'm the one that discovered him. And then he went on to do Green Mile. So I should have some stake in that, right? No. No, Michael Bay. He's an asshole. Don't try and glob on to that man's success. Yeah, that like, man is me? a fucking charm. That man is a treasure, okay? Like... It makes me sad and completely elated every time I see him and anything on screen nowadays because it just breaks my heart that he's gone. Because it's like he's so he's so fucking good. Man. It, not he only, could just steal any scene he's in. No, he was literally in this movie for yeah. a total of like ten minutes, maybe. I would love to meet him because he seems like he was just a warm-hearted soul. Absolutely, yes. So fuck Michael Bay for even. Even if that, I don't know if that was serious or if it was a joke. I'm assuming Fuck it, you either way because I'm assuming it was a joke. I but. really hope so. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Michael Clark Duncan is in this movie. That's all that matters. Life is good. So Starkweather has won the lottery and he's going to the island. Yippee Kaye! And there's this one fella that's not so happy about it because he apparently has been uh, in this compound for seven years and he's never won the lottery and he's frustrated and Michael Clark Duncan was only here for six months right so he's he's a little pissy but it establishes that like there are some people that have been here for a long time and then it establishes also we we learned that Hugh McGregor's character Lincoln he's only been in this compound for three years so after that scene we get Lincoln going to the cafeteria and showing the cafeteria lady some sass. The general feel of all these people in this compound is that they're kind of just moving right along, you know, they're kind of just yeah. going along with the flow. And McGregor is slightly pushing against the grain a little bit. He's different. Right, exactly. He's he's special. He gives the cafeteria lady some shit because he can't have eggs and bacon because apparently he's on a dietary restriction. Because he's, his pee has too much sodium in it. Yeah, apparently. So after this, we meet ScarJo's character, who is Jordan 2 Delta. We will be calling her Jordan. She walks over to 
Lincoln and it's like, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. They already have a rapport. They're already friends at this point. She goes over to the cafeteria lady and kind of sweet talks her and gets some eggs and bacon and goes back over to Lincoln. And she's like, ha ha, I got you some bacon. Like, and they kind of have like a little flirty moment. Yeah. And then the guy in a black suit comes up and goes, uh, uh, back the fuck off each other. Uh, our next scene establishes yet another character. We meet Dr. Merrick, played by Sean Bean. Now, if you don't know who Sean Bean is, he played Boromir in Lord of the Rings. He did. He played Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. And he's been in a lot of other things. And what this gentleman is generally known for in the Hollywood scene is playing characters that die. <laughs> and spoiler alert, this is no different. I mean, but... Honestly, there's only like... I think two movies I've ever seen Sean Bean in that Sean Bean didn't die. And the, man, see, the man's got a long career. But he plays the head doctor of this facility that we're in. And he calls Lincoln into his office. And he basically tells Lincoln that he's concerned because he's noticed that his brain activity has been different and that he's been having these nightmares. He said he's also concerned about his friendship with Jordan. and. This is where we get, like, the real showing of Lincoln's questioning his life in the compound. Tell me, let's talk about all the white. Why is everyone wearing white all the time? It's impossible to keep clean. I'm walking around, I, get, I always get the gray stripe. I never get any color, and I hand it in to be cleaned, and, and someone cleans it and folds it neatly back in my drawer. But who? Who is that person? I don't know. What happened to my left shoe? <laughs> Merrick is very concerned about this. And he tells Lincoln, okay, we're going to do some tests on you. He takes these oh. nanobite-type mechanical bug things, and he puts them on his face, little CGI nanobites, and they crawl into Ewan McGregor's eye. And it's really gross-looking. It's actually uncomfortable to look at, so, I mean, I can't, I can't knock it there. It's the second worst eye thing I've ever seen, other yeah. than uh, a video game called Dead Space, but... Sean Bean basically just says, like, okay, they're going to, you know... They take, scan your brain, yeah. They're going to scan your brain, and then you'll pee pass them. them. You'll pee them out. Throughout this movie so far, you definitely get a sense of the Michael Bay aesthetic. Very, like, brightly colorful and oversaturated. But uh, at this point, it's not it's not bothersome. It's, it's not distracting from anything, because it kind of fits with, like, the futuristic... Tone. So Lincoln goes to his job in the compound, which I don't really know what the job is. It's just a bunch of guys sitting around inserting things in the tube. Yeah, it's just like random, like, oh, science. Like, it, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. At one point, everyone's working, uh, whistling while they work. Hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. And there's a pregnant woman. She's working along minding her own business and suddenly she collapses and she goes into labor and she thinks oh great me and my baby are gonna get off to the island this yes. is this is wonderful because that's apparently what happens once you are giving birth you go to the island yes i i don't know whatever it's just an accepted thing in this society so she leaves the pregnant woman and everyone else is clapping hooray hooray and Lincoln decides he's going to unplug his computer and goes to the he, boss man saying, I need to go fix it. The boss man gives him his key and goes, okay, the computer guy's in... In the basement. Yeah. So Lincoln goes down to the basement. Turns out he purposely unplugged his computer, went down to the basement so he could hang out with his friend James, who was a worker at this facility. And he is played by Steve Buscemi. How do you do, fellow kids? We love in this movie. He's very fun. I like him in most movies, too. Uh, you know, from Con Air to... Yeah, he's... Well, Con Air, too, is a great example, because Con Air is kind of like... It's a great action movie, but it's cheesy as all hell. Oh, yeah. And his character in that is, like, really fucking bizarro. But it, it still works somehow. Like, he just finds a way to make it work. So, James McCord... He's chatting with Lincoln, and he's like, you and me are buddies, but, like, you can't tell anybody that we're buddies because I could get in trouble for that shit. And Lincoln's like, oh, okay. McCord leaves, 
And all of a sudden, Lincoln's chilling in the basement area, and he finds a live moth flying around. <gasps> so he's like, hmm, what's this about? Because if if there were moths in the outside world that somehow got into this facility, that would mean that the world outside isn't contaminated. <laughs> He becomes suspicious, and we see McCord, meanwhile, going into this other lab to, like, clean up, and we see these doctors standing over this plastic, adult-sized, like, amniotic sack. That's really the only way I know how to explain it. And it's attached to, like, a mechanical umbilical cord. You know what it looks like? It's the Matrix tubes. Yes, that's the perfect way to describe it, actually. Not to be annoying, but, like, yeah. These doctors are essentially performing a C-section, for lack of a better term. They're ripping the thing open and bringing this adult, like, naked being to life. Yes. It's kind of gross, kind of disgusting. Yeah, and they pan over to this adjoining room where there are thousands, it looks like, of the same kind of sacks that are developing what looks like adult fetuses. It's a weird term, I know, but that's basically what it looks like. Yeah. So we cut to later on. Lincoln has gone back to his room and put the moss in like a little jar and hidden it away. And then these compound people in these white jumpsuits, they apparently have leisure time. How wonderful. They play games with each other, and they go to bars together, so we cut to... Ewan McGregor punching Scarlett Johansson in the face. Yeah, Lincoln and Jordan are, like, playing virtual boxing, and it's really fun to watch because ScarJo is just going ham with the fighting choreography, and it's like, oh, Black Widow, Black Widow foreshadowing. Like, it's kind of funny to watch. But yeah, Jordan kicks Lincoln's ass, and then later all the white jumpsuit people are hanging out at the bar, and Lincoln tells Jordan, hey, I found this bug. And Jordan's like, what? Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my God. And she reacts very positively, like, oh, that's so cool. But meanwhile, Lincoln is, like, questioning everything. Like, what does this mean? And Jordan is basically like, why are you questioning everything? It's a good thing. What are you? Don't worry about it. And then, of course, then the lottery sound goes off. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Jordan is the next pick to win the lottery. Now, at this point... I'm not sure what I'm thinking with the sacks. I'm thinking, like, they're breathing humans. I'm not really... I'm almost there, but I'm not quite what's right. actually going on Well, yet. I do like that. I do like that, because I already knew the general premise, so I knew what was happening, but, like, I was interested to see how long it would take you to figure it out. And honestly, you didn't really figure it out until we got there. Yeah, I, I, was, I was almost there, but I wasn't quite right. there. Right, you were, like, on the track. So, that night... Lincoln has another nightmare and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he decides to sneak back down to the secret area in the basement where he found the moth and he sneaks into this other secret area and he finds out what the lottery winners are actually where they're actually taken when they win the lottery yeah. so it's really good I really like this sequence a lot it's a great reveal so, first things first, we see the pregnant lady from before, and she's just given birth to this baby, and she's like, okay, now am I going to go to the island? And there are other doctors are like, yeah, yeah, sure, you're going to go to the island. And then they take the baby away, and then you see the doctors, like, filling a syringe. I saw Scott's face, he was like, no, hell no, 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 I refuse, no. They, they kill her, and I'm like, Fuck, okay, here we go. Yeah, but uh, then they take the baby into this waiting room area and they give the baby to this couple. The female of the couple looks exactly like the pregnant woman. Yeah. And Scott was like, huh? <laughs> what the hell is that? I'm like, wait for it. <laughs> and then we cut to Michael Clark Duncan. Yes, and he's in surgery. Outside the surgery room, we see these two helicopter pilot guys and they're talking to a receptionist outside who happens to be played by Yvette Nicole Brown 
who played Shirley in Community. So if I took it, it's larceny, but if you find it under Mother Hen, it's a mistake. Mother Hen? I think we're about the same age. Sure, unless time is linear. I'll make your ass linear. That doesn't make any sense. I'll make your ass sense. We love her. We do. Of course, though, they have to kind of portray her as like the typical sassy black woman. But I mean, it's Michael Bay. That like that was literally the least egregious joke in the whole movie. Well, yeah, well, she's she's all excited about like, oh my god. Oh yes, well, she's excited because they mentioned the name Starkweather, and she's like, oh yeah, that that crazy rich football player. Da, 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 da. And then you're like, hmm? the helicopter guys are like, hey, you know, we gotta get out of here soon. So like, is he ready? And she's like, no, 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 he's still in surgery. So it's still kind of vague talk, but then you cut into the surgery room and you see Starkweather Delta on the operating table. And Scott started then to kind of figure it out. He's like, oh, wait, are they harvesting his organs? Is that what it is? I think she's got it. By George, she's got it. So that's essentially what the T is. All of these white jumpsuited compound people are used as spare parts. Yeah. They're like, used for surrogate motherhood. They're used for organ harvesting. And then when they get selected for winners of going to the island, it, that means that they're just getting selected to basically die. So Mike, Michael Clark Duncan is on the operating table, and he's slowly but surely coming out of the anesthesia. And then all of a sudden, like a bat out of hell, this huge monster of a man breaks out of this, like, operating room and starts running, screaming down the hall. He fucking shoulder tackles one guy through a plate of glass. And he's screaming, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Oh my god, it breaks your fucking heart. He's... That This is why Michael Clark Duncan is a fucking treasure, man, because you think he's just, you know, he's there to play, like, the big tough dude, whatever. And, like, he can do that, obviously, but he's more than that. When he is being dragged by these doctors back into the operating room, screaming and crying, Oh, it breaks your fucking heart in two. Lincoln sees all of this happening, and he's just mortified. And he immediately gets the fuck out of there. So Lincoln runs back downstairs because now he knows what happens when you get chosen for the island. Right. And he immediately goes to Jordan. While he's running to go get Jordan, Merrick is going to check on the security to, like, ask about what happened with the Starkweather thing. And he sees Lincoln on the camera. And he's like, go get Lincoln Six Echo. Go. So the first of many chase scenes start in this movie because uh, as Lincoln is grabbing Jordan and trying to quickly explain to her how we got to get the fuck out of here, the security swarms in and tries to get him. So they start running through this compound to try to get out. Yeah, they, and they have now said over the loudspeaker, Lincoln Echo is contaminated. So everyone's avoiding him like the plague. And... Yeah. It's funny because at this point, I'm going to Frankie like, 2319! We have a 2319! We have a 2319! The chase scenes in this, and there are many, they're good. I mean, Michael Bay definitely say a lot about him that isn't so good, but he's good at doing action. There's a, a part where fucking ScarJo whacks a security guy in the head with a wrench. It's boss. We love it. It's fun as fuck. Eventually, they emerge out of the compound, and they find themselves in the desert, and they just start running. It's basically a fish-out-of-water situation now, because we've established that these people have lived in this compound their whole lives, and they don't really know much of anything about the outside world. Yeah. At one point, they bend over to, like, look at the snake, a python. And the fucking snake snaps at him and he goes, oh, I guess he's not nice. Yeah, it, and it's weird because they do the thing that we always complain about in movies, which is show, don't tell. That's what they do. They, they want to establish that these people are not 
used to the outside world. They don't really know much yeah. about the environment around them yeah. or society in the outside world. So they put them in a situation where they come upon a dangerous animal. They interact with the dangerous animal. And that establishes it right there, easy peasy. But then right after that, they have this long exposition-y type scene with Merrick talking to this Navy SEAL officer played by Jimon Honsu. Who is awesome. Yes, he is awesome. He's, he's a great character in this. He plays Laurent, who... Merrick hires to bring in Lincoln and Jordan. But yeah, they have this whole like exposition-y type scene and it's like, why did you... We don't need that. We like we get it. We, we've established everything already that you just explained. Again, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, like, he took three more extra scenes to explain the entire movie so far to us, basically. Yeah. This is why I say, like, the concept of the script is really good and really fun and a solid sci-fi concept for a film, but the execution isn't always the best. Yeah. So Lincoln and Jordan find themselves going into a bar nearby and they go in and they ask for McCord, Steve Buscemi's character, because Lincoln, that's, that's his really only friend outside of the clone. So he's like, okay, Where's McCord? And the bartender's like, Well, lucky day, Captain Kirk. He's in the can. He's in a can? Taking a dump. A dump? Taking it where? And this is where we get kind of the stupid fish out of water humor. And it's like, okay, this is funny, I guess. Sure. It was actually funny right before they get to this bar. We were like, wow, ScarJo's in this and she's really good looking. But they're not sexualizing yeah, her, really. Yeah, I literally, we had that and whole conversation. And immediately they go right into a strip club. Well, no, I don't know if it's a strip club. I think it's just a bar and there's a girl up there, like, dancing in a tank top and short shorts. I don't know. It's weird. But it's just, like, of course, like, right on cue, <laughs> there's a sexualized female character. But anyway, Lincoln finds McCord in the bathroom. He, like, barges in on the stall and he pins him up against the wall. And he's like, why did they lie to us? What the fuck is going on here? And McCord, of course, has his pants down, and a guy walks into the bathroom. Yeah, and he sees Lincoln and McCord, like, talking about, like, hey, I'll, I'll take you back to my place, and we'll, we'll talk, okay? And he's got his pants down, so obviously, gay joke, oh, God, and it's, oh, okay, whatever. Fucking stupid as fuck, but let's, let's let it go, because I just can't, I can't even. <laughs> the three of them go back to McCord's place, and he basically tells them, everything about the clones and how their lives are basically not what they think they are. So bullet points are they use memory imprinting to get them to believe that the world is contaminated and they have these lives outside in the real world. And in reality, they are clones created by this facility paid for by their sponsors, who are these rich, hoity-toity people who pay bajillions of dollars to make these clones of themselves in order to acquire any spare parts or spare uteruses they might need. <laughs> so Lincoln and Jordan are obviously freaked out by this, but McCord mentions that the sponsors, quote-unquote, think that these clones are just vegetables they don't have any emotions or feelings they're not real like living conscious people so lincoln and jordan's first thought is well we have to find our sponsors and tell them the truth and maybe they can help us and help the other clones and mccord is very hesitant about this he's like if they find out that i'm helping you they're gonna fucking kill me and lincoln's like you have to help us find our sponsors <laughs> Hey guys, quick break from the main show here. Just wanted to take a minute to shine a light on some other podcasts that Scotty and I really enjoy. Check it out now. Hey guys, I'm Adam. And I'm Josh. And, and we, we are, are Cinematic, Cinematic Blind, Blind Spots. The podcast where two movie lovers will introduce each other to a new film every week. No matter the year or the genre, nothing is off limits. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on all the socials. And remember, whether you are in your car or in the theater, always check your blind spots. 
With so many podcasts out in the world, you have a plethora of options. Take a chance with Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. Mixing comedy with an academic look at film and Hollywood culture, this podcast is perfect for those looking for a fresh perspective. From deep dives into classic films, to debates on digital streaming versus physical media, and film discussions based on randomly chosen topics in our What Are We Talking About segments, there's something to satisfy all your movie podcast cravings. So if you're feeling lucky or feel the need for speed, grab your shaken martini or some fava beans and a nice Chianti and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. For more content, visit amoviepodcast.com. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions and on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Too Many Captains, the jolliest bunch of podcasters this side of the nuthouse. So McCord's like, okay, let's change out of these white fucking jumpsuits. Uh, oh yeah, this one annoyed me too. So he gives them clothes, right? And he gives them these bags, and he's like, "These are bags. You put stuff in them." And he's like, "Backpacks for boys, purses for girls." And I'm like, "Oh, I guess girls can't wear backpacks." Okay. There's another point where she's taking clothes out of the closet. And he pulls out like a nurse's uniform, and he goes, "Oh, not, not that, not that." I'm like, I'm "Like, <laughs> oh god!" I'm like, "Oh, we're not going here, are we?" Like he's feather boa. There, I think there's a yeah. Fuck, uh, oh, I, I can't. There's a leather outfit. Day, man. I'm like, oh, at least ScarJo didn't have to put any of those on. I that's yeah. what I was waiting. No, for. that would uh, that would be bad. So McCord finds out the names of their sponsors and their addresses, and he gives them to Lincoln and Jordan. Apparently, Jordan's clone lives in New York City. And Lincoln's lives in L.A., so they're going to go to L.A. to find Lincoln's clone. And McCord drives them to the station, and he gives them some supplies. He gives them his credit card and some cash. And he gives the credit card to ScarJo, and he goes, you know what? No matter who you are or where you live, there's always one universal truth, and that's never give a woman your credit card. Fuck you, Michael Bay. <laughs> but anyway, they go to the train station and McCord buys some tickets to LA. And before they get on the train, McCord notices that there are mercenaries surrounding them. And he yells across the train station to run! And then boom, and he they, gets shot. And the two of them run and the mercenaries shoot McCord and he's dead. So they're, they're running... Uh, they have a short little chase scene where ScarJo again has a cool moment where she shoots a mercenary with a nail gun because why not? So they eventually get on the train and they go to LA. Jordan notices a Calvin Klein ad. What's so special about this Calvin Klein ad, Scott? It's her. It's her sponsor whose uh, name is Sarah Jordan. She's a model. And we find out a little bit more about her. The reason that Jordan 2 Delta won the lottery was because Sarah Jordan, her sponsor, got in a car accident and she apparently needs multiple organ transplants in order to survive. Jordan calls her house and there's a little kid there who answers who says, my mom's very sick. This bothered me because it added this whole like morality thing of like, your sponsor has a kid, and then they kind of dropped it. Yeah, they did kind of drop that. When she called the kid, she got all real sad. I thought, like, oh, she's going to sacrifice herself so that kid has his mother. Mm-hmm. But it never comes back. Yeah, they kind of don't touch on that as much as they probably should. It, Like I said, it's definitely all very surface level. It could have been delved into a lot more. So Lincoln is trying to figure out exactly where... His sponsor, Tom Lincoln, lives right as they're doing that. They they had scanned McCord's credit card for something, and apparently it alerted the police. So the mercenaries are about to try and get them. But then right as they do, the cops pull up and arrest Lincoln and Jordan on suspicion of McCord's murder. And Lincoln's, like, trying to explain to the cops, like, no, he was my friend. He was trying to help us. Da, da, da. Meanwhile, Laurent... Jimon Honsu is calling Merrick, Sean Bean, 
And he's like, yeah, they got arrested. I don't know what you want me to do. And he's like, you have to stop this from happening. This is horrible. Da, da, da. And then five seconds later, they come back to the cop car. And Scott goes, they're going to get hit by a truck. I honestly didn't remember. So I was like, hmm, okay, we'll see. And then five seconds later, whoosh, the cop car gets railed by a truck, it's, driven by the mercenaries. It's the same shot you've seen a hundred times. Yeah. Where they go through the side window and the truck is coming through the other side. And it's, it's in a ton of action movies. It honestly probably is its own trope at this point. Lincoln and Jordan escape the cop car. And another chase scene ensues. This particular chase scene was kind of great because it reminded me of Bad Boys 2. It was definitely the same aesthetic on the back of a truck and the truck itself is housing like these really heavy, it almost looks like giant barbells. I know that's not what they are. There's it looks like, yeah. There's something, I'm sure, but the, it was giant fucking barbells. And as the mercs are chasing them, they're like pushing out the dumbbells to try and impede them. And it just reminded me of Bad Boys 2. You see that? They throw in cars! How about not see that? And I'm, like, repeating all the lines because I've seen Bad Boys 2 about 50 million times. Oh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Oh, well, yeah, you want to do it? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I know this whole one part of the captain from Bad Boys 2. Let me see if I can do my recitation here. <clears throat> I can't believe you guys. You two just wake up in the morning, call each other up. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? I. So, how are we going to fuck up the captain's life today? <laughs> Gee, I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, look over there. Let's go kill three fat people and leave them on the street. Hey, they were dead before we ran over them. It doesn't matter whether they were dead or not. God damn it. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, oh, I've seen bad boys too many times. Okay. So, also in the chase scene, fucking Ewan McGregor rides a flying motorbike because those apparently exist in 2019 in this universe. At one point, the head mercenary, Laurent, he earlier said, oh, all my people are in, like, Navy SEALs, ex- like, right, yeah. They're all, like, highly trained people. Uh-huh. And they're all being schooled by two good people who have basically been alive for yeah. three <laughs> years. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, they're on the air bikes, and eventually they get away. And they have another, like, flirty moment. Again, another solid action scene, I must say. Yes. The helicopter fucking plowed into a building for some reason. A giant R fell from the sky. There yeah, was a Johnny Rock. don't say it like that. You just say, like, a <laughs> random R falls from the sky. It was attached to a building. It was. There was an appearance by Johnny Rockets. Oh, yeah, there was some product placement for Johnny Rockets. Apparently that worked out real well. <laughs> Don't I you mean, know Johnny Rockets will be everywhere in 2019? When's the last time you saw Johnny Rockets, guys? Let me know. Don't worry. I'll wait. <laughs> so after all that, we cut to Merrick. He's getting a little frustrated with this whole situation. He wants his products back, damn it. He ends up talking to Lincoln's friend at the facility, who happens to be the guy from before that was frustrated, the guy that's been there for like seven years. So he's talking to him. And the guy says, oh, you know what's interesting? Lincoln mentioned to me that he found this moth in the basement. And he thinks that the outside world isn't contaminated anymore. I think that might be true, actually. But you know what? I, I can go find out some more information and get back to you and get in with you on that. And the doctor's like, oh, yes, yes, sure thing. And then immediately he fucking kills him. Right in the neck. That was so uncomfortable. Anything with needles makes me uncomfortable. Watching that fucking hypodermic go into his neck, I was like, oh, mm -mm. nope, mm -mm. I don't like that. Nope. And he twitches too. Yeah, and, oh, it's really, God. It's, there's a lot of uncomfortable imagery in this. It's not uncomfortable like bad. It's just uncomfortable to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Meanwhile, Lincoln and Jordan go to Tom Lincoln's house, who is Lincoln's sponsor, yes. and... They're able to just get right into his house because they ha he has a fingerprint scanner and he's a clone, so he has the same fingerprints. They go in and they're like looking around and they run into Tom Lincoln. Also played by Ewan McGregor. McGregor. Ah, what a shock. Uh, so <laughs> he's this rich boat designer, which makes sense for Lincoln because he's like, I've been dreaming about boats and myself is like a rich guy and that makes sense now. Implying that like, 
for some reason, Lincoln is able to tap into his sponsor's memories. Yeah, they don't explain it at all. Yeah, they don't explain why that happens. He's just special, I guess. Lincoln tells Tom everything that's going on, and Tom's like, okay, I'll help you. Basically, what Lincoln wants to do, they want to go down to a TV studio, and they want to tell the world about the clones, and Tom is like, okay. And two more things I want to establish before we move on. While they're in the house, Tom Lincoln actually takes off Lincoln and Jordan's arm bracelets, which are like their ID bracelets for the cloning thing. And also, Tom has a Scottish accent while Lincoln has just a regular American accent. Those two details will be important in just a minute. Yes. So (laughs) Tom says he's going to just go upstairs and change his clothes or something, and then they're going to go. But in reality, he goes upstairs and he calls the cloning facility and he speaks to Merrick. We've established up to this point in some of the interactions that Lincoln and Jordan have had, Jordan can tell when Lincoln is lying. I know when you're lying because your mouth is talking, but your eyes are darting away. So when Tom comes back and he's like, okay, guys, let's go down to the studio. Let's save the day. Jordan grabs Lincoln. He's like, he's not telling the truth. And Lincoln's like, okay, stay here. Don't leave. Just stay here. I'll take care of it. Lincoln and Tom are driving along. And by the way, for some stupid ass reason, Tom just lets Lincoln, who doesn't know what traffic lights are, drive the fucking bajillion dollar car through the streets. I don't know. But anyway, so they're driving along, la-di-da-di-da. And then all of a sudden, the mercenaries show up. Tom pulls a gun. Yeah, Tom pulls a gun. He's like, I don't want to die, bitch. So another little fight slash chase scene ensues. This one's really fun because literally... While Lincoln is driving the car to try to get away from the mercenaries, he's also fist fighting with his fucking sponsor, biting his finger and like elbowing him in the face. It's like really fun. Yeah, they both look beat up. So eventually they drive into this like abandoned building area and the mercs chase them in and we get this patented... No, I'm the real Tom Lincoln. No, I'm the real Tom Lincoln thing. He's the... I'm Tom Lincoln! Don't point a gun at me, you freaking idiot! He's the clone, look at him! I'm not a clone! I'm Tom! No, I'm Tom! He's lying! Point it at him! No, I'm not... Shut up! Lincoln is putting on Tom's Scottish accent to try and fool the mercenaries. So they're screaming back and forth. And then all of a sudden, Lincoln whips out his ID bracelet and slaps it on to Tom. Yeah, he rolls a 20 on sleight of hand. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a real slick moment. So immediately, Jimon Hansu shoots Tom and kills him. So after this, Lincoln, like a fucking boss, just takes over Tom's life. Meanwhile, Jordan is at the house and she finds a gun in Tom's safe or something. Lincoln comes back and he walks in the house looking for Jordan. She, for a quick second, holds a gun on him and he's like, no, Jordan, it's me. And she knows immediately that it's him because, again, she knows when he's lying. And they have sweet, passionate sex. It's like teenagers making out for the first time. It's actually a little weird, but it's like, it's fine. It's good. It's a good scene. Tongue thing is amazing. How come I never did this before? They're together now, and life is good. Yeah, it, it was fine. And it wasn't sleazy, like... No. No, definitely not. You would think with Michael Bay. But it's a decent, tasteful sex scene. Yeah. So, after this, we cut to Merrick in the facility. And he has gotten the results back on Lincoln's brain scan. And it basically shows that his memories have grown. So he comes to the conclusion that he has tapped into his sponsor's memories. And that's why he's been questioning things. So he figures that this is just a defect in his generation of clones, the Echo generation. So he 
decides that he's going to recall clones from Echo Generation on. His colleagues are like, well, that's crazy. That's like fucking millions of dollars of product that you're just going to destroy. And he's like, round him up. So they call Lincoln. Yeah, they still think he's Tom. They think he's Tom. And they were, sorry, Mr. Lincoln, can you come in for a rescan? Yeah, we're going to fix this whole problem. I know the recall is inconvenient, but we're going to fix it. Lincoln's like, okay, I'll call you back. And he goes to Jordan. He's like, okay, we have two choices, really. We can run away and live like normal people and just fuck the echoes. (laughs) Or we can go back to the facility and save the clones. So obviously, I mean, what kind of action movie would it be if they just ran off into the sunset right now? Of course they're going to save the fucking clones. So they enact this plan. First things first, Lincoln flies in a helicopter because, you know, it's Michael Bay, so everyone rides in a fucking helicopter places, posing as Tom Lincoln to go to this facility and get rescanned for his new clone. Meanwhile, Jordan purposely gives herself up so she can go into the facility and that way Lincoln and Jordan are both there together. Lerat takes her to the facility and they take her away. They kind of close in on Laurent's face and you can tell he feels very uneasy about this, like how these clones are treated. Yeah, and while that's happening, they bring Tom's dead body to the facility and they're analyzing it. Right, because, because they think it's Lincoln. Lincoln's also in the facility. Because he wants to turn off the, I think it's like the holographic power grid thing. I don't know. It's a basic MacGuffin kind of situation. It's like this big, powerful object that... Must be destroyed. Must be destroyed, but really, in the grand scheme, has no major effect on the plot. That's basically what a MacGuffin is. (laughs) So, Lincoln is going after the MacGuffin. Jordan, meanwhile has been put on this surgery table because they still want to harvest her organs for her sponsor who is on death's door, basically. But they mention at one point that they don't even think that she'll live with the organ transplants because her brain has been so damaged. So they would just be killing Jordan for no reason. Yet Sean Bean mentions that to Laurent, and he gives his whole like little backstory here. Basically, his father was involved in the war him and his brother as children were branded to let them know that they were less than human. And he's like, I know war is a business, but when did killing become a business for you, Merrick? And Merrick has his evil speech where he's like, I bring life. I'm going to save the world. I'm a genius. paraphrasing obviously but that's the basic he's on par with god Uh, yes they make the god again this is a very standard sci-fi slash action movie so we have a very standard sci-fi slash action villain so while jordan is about to go under the knife oh my god she has another kick-ass moment because the guy the worker there that she hit with the wrench in the beginning of the movie he comes back and he's like, haha, they're gonna cut you up, bitch. But then she fucking flies out from under the surgical table and she has a fucking gun and she shoots that motherfucker in the knee, which I hear is the most painful place to be shot. I don't know if that's true. I don't want to find out personally. I assume but, being shot anywhere hurts a lot. I mean, it's true, I, I would assume. So she runs off and eventually her and Lincoln meet up. They are walking through the facility and they find a slew of clones and the workers are like, all right, everyone line up and come with me and you'll get sent to the Island right away. And Lincoln and Jordan are like, Oh fuck. Jordan's like, go find the power grid MacGuffin thing, turn it off so we can save everybody and I'll deal with this. So they separate. He goes off to find the MacGuffin and she goes off to try and save the clones. Meanwhile, Merrick realizes that Lincoln Six Echo is posing as Tom Lincoln and he's in the building right now. We must find him. So they send out an alert and they're looking for him. Meanwhile, okay, this is where we get gross Nazi imagery. Get ready, guys. If you're a little sensitive, 
they put all of these clones in a room and shut the door. And I, I oh God, I was so scared because I don't, I didn't remember what happened at this part. So I was like, is it going to be a fucking gas chamber? Oh my God, I don't have the stomach for this. But no, it's actually somehow worse than that. They put them in this room and suddenly fire shoots into the room. They're going to try and burn these people alive in a fucking oven. Yeah, it's a fucking incinerator. I, I can't. Oh God, it's like horrible. And then right as it's like starting up, uh, Jordan bursts in with Laurent by her side and she's like, shut off the fucking incinerator. And Laurent shoots his gun and he's like, you heard her, shut it off. Because Laurent's a fucking badass and he may be a mercenary, but he's got morals, goddamn. Yeah, he had, a, he had a change of heart. So Laurent and Jordan saved the clones from being fucking burned alive, thank the lord. Yeah, like, just the idea of burning people alive, even though even though they're clones. Yeah. You're going to hear those people scream. Right, and that's the thing, too. The worker that puts them in that room is just standing by the window watching. Like, again, it's uncomfortable, but I feel like in better directing hands, in better writing hands, it could have been handled more in-depth and more powerfully and made a stronger impact. Like, the whole theme of, are they human? Are they not? Why do people in power give themselves permission to think of other different people as lesser than? Like, it's a whole big fucking to-do, and it could be expanded upon in a really deep way. But it really is, for the most part, surface level. Yeah. So, now, Sean Bean knows that Lincoln is trying to destroy the hologram projector. Yeah, so Lincoln finally gets there, and he's trying to fuck it up. But just as he is getting somewhere, Merrick shows up, and they immediately start to fight. You could have taken over his life, but you chose to come back. You truly are unique, six My name is Lincoln! a cool moment. I like that moment. You McGregor sells it, man. I gotta tell ya. Lincoln, Lincoln broke it enough where it started to actually break. Yeah. The the mechanical shit starts to crumble all around them, and they're, them two are still fighting, and it gave me very Total Recall vibes. At one point, they were, like, falling as all this metal shit CGI crap was falling all around them, and I was like, See at the party, Richter! <laughs> it made me laugh. But at one point towards the end of this fight, Merrick is on top of Lincoln and he's strangling him, saying, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, young man. Yes, <laughs> like every parent ever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, minus the strangling, I, I would hope anyway. Um, uh, we're not going Homer Simpson? No. <laughs> <laughs> As Merrick is strangling Lincoln, Lincoln grabs over to Merrick's gun and shoots him right in the neck. Eventually he dies, and the power grid is destroyed, and the clones are free to go! Free at last! Which leads to a whole other slew of questions. Like? Like, all these clones are rich, famous people. Right. They have their DNA, they have their fingerprints. Like, if one of these clones hypothetically committed a crime... I would assume that you would have to figure it out... Until one of them, either clone or sponsor, passes, and there's only one person left, they have to live on, like, opposite sides of the country or the continent or whatever. Like, they can't live in the same area. Because if one does commit a crime, then they would both be in the mix, you know what I mean? They have to be integrated into society, essentially. They don't really touch on that at all. No. I I wish maybe... I, I wish maybe they would a little bit, but I, I don't think it really has to have that. No, I don't, but it, to work. It, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, it, it all ends kind of... Happy. Kind of a, yeah, it ends happily, kind of abruptly. The older clones are free, Lincoln and Jordan kiss, and then that's it. That's the end of the movie. That's, that's the island, guys. So, Scott, what did you think of this movie overall? Overall, I liked it. There are a few questions I, I would like to have had answered. There are, again, a couple of Michael Bayisms that are really dumb. He definitely stole that scene from Bad Boys 2. It's kind of obvious. But, like, 
overall, it's a dumb, fun action movie that you don't really have to... We're thinking about it because we think about things. <laughs> Probably more than we should at times. But um, I'm pretty much in full agreement with you. I think that it's a fun action movie. It's a fun sci-fi movie. Very surface level as far as that goes. But it's still very entertaining. I think the acting kind of elevates it yes. and makes it better than maybe it has a right to be. If you are willing to overlook some of the Michael Bay tropes, then you could probably have a good time with this. I gave this a three and a half. That's exactly where I'm at, too. Okay. So three and a half out of five stars, official review of Shoot the Flick. Stamp it down, baby. Alrighty. So that was The Island, a little bit of a lesser known gem, but we like to do those once in a while on this show. Thankfully, this wasn't another repeat of The Whole Nine Yards. Uh, that was a bit of a nightmare. Yep, one of our most popular. Yeah, well, because I'm suffering the whole fucking time. Suffer. You enjoyed it partially. Don't, I, don't. It was a, it was a so bad it's good. So next week, Scott's going to be showing me a movie. We're going back in time a little we bit. We are. We're definitely going back. That should be fun. We like going back in time once in a while on the show. Until then, this has been... Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. Make sure you check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for another crazy, fun movie adventure. What happened to Lincoln's left shoe? Nobody cares. <laughs>